Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Okay, yeah, it's a two-person run club. It's me and my dad. And we're built, we're basically the same weight, same height, same build. If you put gray hair on Alex and slap a Coors Light in your hand, it's the same person. Yeah. The commitment is rigid. The approach is flexible. And that means, like, you are committed to being the most prepared that you possibly can be for the race. Or, if you don't have a race, to become the best runner that you can be. Hi, everyone. I'm Meredith Root, and this is the Afternoon Snack Podcast, episode 88. Today... We are talking about our favorite C word. No, not Z word, C word, which is consistency. That is our favorite C word. Specifically, we're going to talk about it in regards to Alex's recent success and endeavors with running and marathoning. We're going to talk about how her volume and approach has changed in the last two years. We're going to talk about how she combines endurance training and running with strength and conditioning. We're going to talk about how she puts consistency to work every single day. And we're going to talk about how a lot of people think they know what consistency means, but they actually don't know how to put it into practice in their lives. We're going to talk about the difference between commitments and consistency. Commitments like our second favorite C word. And hopefully leave you with some food for thought, some enjoyable one-liners, and a lot to take away and think about. So without further ado, here we go. So yesterday, I didn't run solo. I ran with a friend. Holy shit. I know. I'm a bit of a lone ranger out there. Is it lone ranger or lone wolf? I think I'm going to say both, but I am a lone wolf also. Okay, let's go with wolf. Mm -hmm. I'm a lone wolf. I've never like joined a run club or run with other people really. I was in a run club once, but really it was more of a pasta eating club. We would run like maybe three or five kilometers and then just eat pasta. Definitely earned those carbs. Definitely. But I did I did used to run with my dad quite a bit when I was living at home and we were training for that marathon about 10 or 12 years ago now. I've heard many stories about the Parker Family Run Club. So I'd, I would like to call BS on I've never been. Okay, on yeah, club. it's a two-person run club. It's me and my dad. And we're built, we're basically the same weight, same height, same build. If you put and gray so- hair on Alex and slap a Coors Light in her hand... <laughs> It's the same person. Yeah. When we run together, our neighbors are like, you two look like you're two people in the military because we have also the same running style. So often our strides will match up perfectly. And then you hear them saying, I don't know what I've been told. I don't know what I've been told. They're just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do that? No, we didn't sing, but everything else, yes. So anyways, ever since I started running over two years ago, And then also when I was running through law school, just kind of like recreationally, I've been running alone. Is that a personal preference or is that like a lack of friends? I think there's, it's partially personal preference. Like it's more convenient to run by myself. It's hard to find people who are out there like running the same pace close to where you live and that sort of thing. And then not that I've really looked, so that's on me, but also, yeah, I think I just, I enjoy the solitude sometimes. And I did run with one of my friends in Fernie a while back, I told him, I was like, we're running at a five kilometer pace. It was 10K, easy 10. Mm-hmm. And he came out hot and stayed hot. Mm-hmm. And he's not like, he's not a better runner than me. It's not like 
that's his easy pace. Like we have about the same easy pace. He just decided to kick it up a notch without telling me, even though I was the one who invited him for a run. So, so there's like, there's definite like running etiquette, right? Yes. What's the running etiquette? Okay. The running etiquette is if you are the invitor, the person who is inviting. Yes. Like else. Meredith, I would like for you to come on my run with me. This is the pace. The etiquette on your part is to say, okay, and run at my pace. So what if I'm slower? Because of your capabilities? Yeah. Then you should say, I don't think I can run that pace. I'll come if you can run slower. But if you're just as good as me or even better, and you say, okay, I'll come on your run with you, then I will run at your pace. Yeah. So that the invitor gets to dictate the pace. Yes. Unless there's a previous conversation. I see. Yeah. So... As with all things, communication is... <laughs> yes. So that didn't discourage me from inviting somebody else out. And not that I won't go out running with him, but I'll just be a little bit more clear. And you know, guys, it's their yeah, ego. Yeah, you just gotta like get it out of the system. Yeah. So anyways, I did it. still enjoy that run with him. I listened to a podcast. And if you're interested in listening to it, Mel Robbins has started a new podcast. It's probably like a month or two old now. Okay. There's quite a few episodes. She has two per week. They're on the shorter side. And they're, they're kind of self-helpy. And I like that. Yes. I, I'm not like a really, like a person who's really into self-help, but there are certain topics where I do need to be told by someone who I respect and who's smart and intelligent, this is how you should live your life in this regard. Not like full yeah. stop, live your life like this. Like here are some tips and tricks to make your life better. What I like about her is she's number one, very smart. <clears throat> but she's also like, these are things I struggle with too. So that she kind of makes you feel like, She's not talking to you. She's talking with you. A conversation with a friend. Yeah. she like That's how she likes to describe her podcast. So anyways, I can't remember what number it is, but it's why it's so hard for adults to make friends. And I was like, ooh, I need this. I need this in my life because that's, we struggle with this. Don't we? No, admit it, Meredith. I just don't. I fully admit I don't make time for other people. That's part of it though. That's fair, I guess. Okay, so I'll talk by myself then because you're this, you know, whatever, you got everything dialed in. <laughs> I struggle to make friends and I struggle to maintain friendships. Yeah. Like I, I've kind of gone through my life where there's, I have a lot of seasonal friends. So like friends from high school that don't laugh. Like I don't keep those friends. We'll call those friends of convenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing wrong um, with those friendships. Like I had really great friendships in university and, my, and on my ski team. I had great friends in CrossFit. But once I've like moved on from that, those friendships kind of, they don't die, but they're not like active. Because it takes work to maintain them. Yeah. And I think part of my problem is I have been somewhat transient. Like, you know, you go to university somewhere, you go to law school somewhere else. Like it's hard to kind of maintain because everyone's scattered all around, especially CrossFit. Like we know tons of people, but not very many of them live in Calgary. No. So I'm on a quest to make new friends or at least drum up some old friendships. Would you call this a 2023 resolution? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not really into making resolutions. This is something like we kind of committed to last year mm -hmm. and mountain biking has helped. Skiing has helped because you have things in common with other people. But I mean, it's easy to kind of connect through activity, but I've decided that I'm going to make more friends. It wasn't necessarily a 2023 thing, but what was a 2023 thing and it was triggered by this podcast was Mel Robbins says, a lot of us tend to live our life assuming others don't like us or others don't want to make time for us or others don't want to hang out with us. And I certainly feel that. And it's not necessarily like, oh, they don't like me. It's more whenever I ask somebody to do something or even I invite somebody to a party or a wedding, which I've done fairly recently, 
it feels like I'm putting an obligation on them. And it's like, oh, what if they say yes, but they don't really want to come? Or I'm putting them in a position where now they have to say no. Mm. And it's like, no one likes to say no. Like, eh, I can't come for dinner or no, I don't really want to or whatever you say. It's hard to kind of, because you do feel like you're maybe letting someone down or you don't want them to get the wrong impression that you don't want to come. It's complicated in my mind. Anyways, she said, let go of that. Live your life as if people like you. And as soon as I heard that, like as difficult as I knew it would be, I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put myself out on a limb. I'm going to invite people. And if they decline, I will invite them again. And, you know, maybe there's a limit where I'm like, you know what? That person I don't think actually wants to hang out with me, but at least I tried. Yeah. And that's not going to deter me from asking somebody else. Long story short, I invited an old friend that I used to ski with out for a run. She said, yes. Another thing in this podcast was making time for other people. It's not going to be convenient because we all live very busy lives. I had to change my run schedule up a bit. I had to go meet her at her house because she was having a busy morning. And we ended up going for a really great 12K run, and it was a great catch-up. The run went by in an instant. It was one of the easiest 12K runs I've ever done. We were so engaged in conversation, and I don't know, it was just very validating that my effort to kind of commit to asking more people to do things, even if it requires a little bit of extra effort or you know, I'm opening myself up to rejection, even though I don't think it necessarily always needs to be rejection, but there might be that feeling for some people. It paid off. And, you know, this isn't the first time I've done it this year. I had a friend ask to meet up and I said, I'm come over for a walk, for a walk with my dog. And part of her, she, she made it work. I talk to people all day long over text message, but seeing people face to face in person, undistracted by texting and technology and like, it just, it was really nice. Yeah. And have like deep conversations, you know, mm-hmm. not like, oh, the weather's, you know, pretty good here. Hey, yeah, it's like, let's talk. So anyways, I would encourage you to also with me, live your life as if other people like you and put yourself out there and connect more. But that's not what this podcast is about. No, it's not. We're going to talk about, we are going to talk about running in the context of consistency. But I thought that, I think that was a great little intro. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Going to talk about running, going to talk about consistency, how those two interplay for you personally, and how that applies or might apply into other areas of your life, of listeners' lives, of client lives, of different goals, and things like that. So you've been running for years. The volume has varied. You used to run a lot in law school. So 20, what, 14, 15, 16, we're probably running quite a bit. 40 to 50K a, a week. week. Yeah. Okay. So but, that's a lot. Yeah. For, especially for someone doing CrossFit. And then your running volume kind of tapered back in 2016, 2017, when you were putting a more significant effort on getting stronger, getting better at CrossFit. When you started working with Mike Fitzgerald, who was like, Alex, you can't run this much. Yeah. <laughs> and I did start working with Mike Fitzgerald before I stopped running and hid my running from him. Yeah. Healthy. Really yeah. good. <laughs> So kind of dabbled with competitive CrossFit. You were you were competitive with CrossFit for a number of years, retired, quote unquote, about a year after I did. And we've talked about kind of how you stumbled back into running around April 2021, just after your season ended abruptly and unexpectedly. That's when your running volume started to increase. And at that point, you had signed up for the Chicago Marathon. So your running and your training was predominantly focused and with that goal in mind. And I think specifically, you had the goal of running, of beating your San Francisco time, which was like a 327. Yeah, somewhere around there. And that's kind of what started you down the path of running. And then what did you run in Chicago? Chicago was like a 320, 
three or something. I think it was 321 because your watch time, your actual distance was like a 319, but then your yeah, I run, trip timer I, was a 321 because you run a little bit longer. Yeah, I ended up courses. running like almost a kilometer longer because at Chicago I started way back because I didn't have a, a time to get me into the like faster corrals. Yeah, so you're running around people. I was running with like... 430 marathoners and I'm like a 330 marathoner so I was like oh gosh in Chicago if you've ever done that marathon or watched it it is busy like it's over crowds 40, people. the whole way like you the, it doesn't sl- it doesn't like lean out Mm-mm. it's just it's very compact the entire way like you're rarely ever in a place on the road where you don't have somebody within five feet of you either side and to the front and back. Yeah. Like that's how busy it is. You run longer because on sanctioned courses, the shortest route is 26.2 miles. If Mm -hmm. you run on the blue line, which there's a blue line that they paint in the road, that's your 26.2. So if a lot of times people will take corners wide, they'll run off the blue line. And so you just sort of add in extra distance to the course. Yeah. Sometimes like one to two kilometers extra. Yeah. So So that slowed me down. A little caveat, but you are happy with that time, right? Yep. Um, and leading up to, so let's talk about April 2021 to October 2021, which was when the Chicago Marathon was. What was your volume like? How did it increase? How many days per week were you running? How many days per week were you in the gym? And then how did those runs feel mostly when you would do them? So I was running three days a week which for me wasn't very much because in law school, I was running four or five. I would run Monday through Thursday and then take the weekend off because I would be able to do double sessions of CrossFit. So in law school, I would run in the morning like early at 5.30 and then do CrossFit in the afternoon. Like three days a week of running wasn't that much, but it also was because I was, it was more intentional running. Like the runs were harder. So some runs were easy. It was like, okay, you're going to do 8K easy or 6K easy as you build up. But there were also like intervals, which I had never, ever done before. Or now you're going to run at your goal marathon pace, which was 3.30 for me because that was around what I ran, San Francisco. So yeah, it was three times a week and I was probably averaging 30 to 40 kilometers per week. week. That's like quite a bit less than I bet people would assume and is typical yeah, so when I ran the Chicago Marathon in 321, like I don't think very many people do that on that low of volume. I think a lot of runners, even if you pull up even beginner or intermediate programs online, you're running a hell of a lot more than that. You're usually running four or five days a week. Even beginners are running four days a week. And that's not with very much cross training. Yeah, I wasn't running very much, but I think the the fact that I had that fitness base and a lot of intention around my runs. I was also spacing out my runs by a day. Yeah. So I would never do back-to-back running. And I would say like in leading into Chicago, more so around the marathon, I had a lot of like niggly injuries. Yeah, I remember And so that. I would have to like, not necessarily ever take, I think there was only one week I actually had to take completely off because I had a bad like knee issue. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that bad, but it was enough to like be like, okay, I shouldn't run. I had a foot issue that lasted quite a bit for a few weeks after Chicago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And then that hip thing that happened like two weeks before the race. Yep. I did like a 5K time trial. And the next run I did two days later, my hip just like got really buggered up the front hip flexor. Yeah, I remember this. It was like the most running I could do to stay injury free. And then also kind of maintain the strength that I had. 
Like I was still doing CrossFit five or six sessions a week. And then there was a lot of managing my lower body volume. So like not a ton of squatting. And the squats were like lower body days were placed kind of strategically in the week. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of flexibility with my training schedule. Everything was very well. I thought out by my coach. So like the, I would say like just to stop and kind of highlight something that's really important. I think there's two things that are really important sort of underlying here and you haven't said it, but I think a lot of people who start running, maybe they sign it for a half marathon or a marathon do too much too soon. And they either actually get injured or they burn themselves out on running and end up hating it so much that they may not even like make it to the race day or maybe they do the race and then stop because it was just too hard leading up to it. So I think that's like what I'm hearing was a really important part of your Chicago prep was just like basically minimum effective dose for running volume to keep you big injury free, to keep you motivated for running and happy and, and you know, you were enjoying doing it. And then uh, like obviously perform on race day was still, it was still the goal of, you know, running as fast as you could and meeting your potential for that. But then the second important thing that it's worth saying is I would say like it's not uncommon for a CrossFitter to also have a running goal, especially recreational intermediate towards advanced people. They want to run a half marathon or 10 K even. I know we have a lot of clients and people who follow us like in our tactic community yeah, who do CrossFit because they understand the value of strength, but they also have endurance goals. Yeah. And so what's common and I've personally helped people with this mainly because I see what they're doing. I'm like, well, no, don't do that. But what's really common from an approach standpoint is people will, you know, they do their daily CrossFit workouts and then they just like plop an internet running program on top, like a Hal Higdon or a runner's world or something. And so now they're also running four days a week, five days a week on top of doing CrossFit. That's not at all what your approach was. Your approach was very well thought out, curated, programmed, quote unquote, CrossFit sessions, strength and conditioning sessions. And then the same person who's writing those sessions is writing in your running and understands the interplay, understands how reps in training are being designed and put in place to mitigate the risk of injury because you do run that risk when you combine those two modalities. And everything was very well thought out. So I, I think it's like it's worth highlighting that. This was not just a like, you know, a Frankenstein. I'm gonna take mayhem and then I'm gonna take Hal Higdon and I'm gonna make him have a programming baby and I'm going to do that. Which I did do in my San Francisco marathon. You did a runner's world. I did a runner's world like beginner five days a week or four days a week. And I did CrossFit classes like three or four days a week as well. Hmm. And I was like playing soccer back then. So yeah, it was a lot. I was uninjured. I was also like 20. (laughs) Yeah. You were really young. (laughs) Newer with CrossFit, right? Like that was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wasn't like, you know, back squatting a lot. So if I like went into the gym and I was like, okay, it's back squat today. I'm like, I'm gonna the do stimulus is, pounds. yeah, the stimulus wasn't crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I could get away with kind of balancing the running. Yeah. And I think people can get away from do, with doing CrossFit classes and running. I don't think it's necessarily perfectly ideal. No. And what I see, and we can, this will kind of play into the consistency. What I see with templated training programs, which I really, I don't have a real problem with, but when they're applied to a person who's a human being mm-hmm. who's going to run into niggly injuries, going to need to take rest days, get sick, has kid things, scheduling problems, vacations. If they miss, what happens? If you're 16 weeks out and you start a 16-week program, 
what happens when you miss the long run day on week eight? Mm -hmm. Do you push it? Like people don't know how to adjust. How to adjust. And then what happens is like, well, I now I'm two weeks behind. Do I just like, and I'm coming back from injury. Should I just resume week six or sorry, week 10, I guess it would be. And then week 10 is increased volume and you're coming back from injury. Yeah. I, I think it's the application to a human being that's difficult. Yeah. So like programs are written in for ideal circumstances. Yeah. It's very rare that I see a templated program that's like, if you need to take a week off, this is how you adapt yes. the program. It doesn't say that. Mm -mm. So you're left to your own devices and then you're wondering, and if you don't trust what you're doing, you're probably not going to do it. And then you're going to fall off. Yeah. And then the marathon shows up and you're like, shoot. Does anyone want my registration? How <laughs> to registration? You know, that, that is what happens. It's tough. And I see this all the time and I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, I do recommend certain programs for people because I don't necessarily program. But at this point, like when I coach somebody in nutrition who's also training for a race, I am very much involved in how they're doing their training if they don't have a coach. Yeah. Because I try to help them keep on in a safe way because I do have quite a bit of personal experience and then I keep up with what other people are doing in certain training programs and all that. So I try to help, but it's, it is difficult when they're kind of left to their own devices. So I guess that kind of brings up a question that I was going to save but for later, but maybe we can talk about it now before we move into post-Chicago. So the idea with when you are consistent with something, there's an there's a understanding that you're committed to the doing of the process, not necessarily committed to a specific race or outcome, but committed to doing something, whatever it is, in this case, running. We've talked about this, but the commitment needs to be quite firm, rigid, the approach needs to be somewhat flexible. So how would you explain how someone can be both consistent, but then also take days or weeks off when they're injured? Like how, do, how does someone retain that feeling of consistency when they aren't doing the thing that is on paper? They know that they're not doing the, the training or the running that they're really supposed to be doing, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. I think, so while approach... The commitment is rigid. The approach is flexible. And that means like you are committed to being the most prepared that you possibly can be for the race. Or if you don't have a race, to become the best runner that you can be in four months, six months, a year, a thousand days, whatever it may be. That's rigid. That is, you are not letting that go. The path to get there can change. So on a day-to-day -day, I've posted a few weeks ago at the end of December my Garmin calendar. And every time I run, there's a green line. It is perfect looking. I ran every single Tuesday, every single Wednesday, every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was perfect. I didn't miss at all. That's not what every month looks like for me. And that's not what it looked like leading up. Like I would have to take days off when my knee was hurting or something like that. But it was ad adapting given the circumstances. So you can still be consistent without hitting every single day that is planned out in advance. Like you, if you hit two days a week and you're supposed to hit five, like you can still count that as consistency. Obviously, like the reasons for varying consistency, because that's, I guess, what it still is. You need to be honest with yourself as to like, okay, why is my consistency 100% or 80%? Yeah. Like, am I letting myself off the hook? And then there's some deeper questions that you might need to be asking yourself. Yeah. Is this a good goal? Like, should I be trying to run five days a week physically, mentally? Like, do I have the time capacity for it? 
I also really try to schedule my runs at specific times of day. Like I try to get Wednesday run in early so that I can work after for the rest of the day and like attend to clients and all that. But last Wednesday, I couldn't run in the morning. So I wasn't feeling well. So I was like, you know what? The the morning's passed. I'm not going to just not do my run. I'm going to try to do it later in the day if I feel better. 6.30 PM, I went for my run. It was 17K. Was it easy to get out there at 6.30? No. But I didn't really have a good excuse not to do it, except for the fact that I don't usually do it at 6.30 PM. So there's like adaptability, whether it's like on a day-to-day basis or on a weekly basis. And you might not be somebody given your your job or your family life that you can say, okay, every Tuesday I'm going to run long or every Saturday I'm going to run long. It might be that you have to look at each week and each week looks a little different. Yeah. But you do have to do your absolute best to commit to establishing some sort of consistency because that really is the key. I yeah. mean, you, you can't be just kind of willy-nillying it and expect to see improvements over time. It's very, you're just not. Yeah, I think the consistency can be applied to different, like for someone who is running into injury, you can simply say like, I can't be com- consistent with my runs, but I can be consistent, yeah, with my commitment and with with my commitment to showing up, you know, a year from now in the best shape and condition that I can be, which, you know, this week means that I have to back off for some days or I, you know, I have to go to see my physical therapist. I have to do rehab instead of running. That's still consistency. That's still like, it's still in the front of your mind. You're still committed to it. You're still doing what you need to do to make progress. What you're doing may just not be as active and physically demanding as you want it to be. Yeah. I think that's a normal ebb and flow. And that happens to, to all athletes and the ones who can get through those periods of time where they're getting through an injury are the ones who can be emotionally resilient in those moments. And they can see the kind of the whole chessboard versus just seeing, shoot, I'm not, I'm not able to make this move <laughs> that I wanted to this week. I'm not able to get the mileage in that I want to this week. But like, you know, you scale that up, you say, okay, I'm only going to get in 20 kilometers this week versus 60. But doing that allows me to start right back on running next week or in two weeks or whatever it is. And that's, it's the long game versus trying to muscle your way through those weeks and really getting injured. And now you're, you're taking time off, not because you you want to, and you're being proactive, but because your body's demanding it. Yeah. Consistency requires playing the long game. Like if you're consistent for two months, that's not even, you're not even cracking the surface of consistency. What's the buy-in for consistency? I don't know. Honestly, six months, a year. I think six months is the buy-in. If you say, I've been consistent for two months, like I'm going to say great job because that's the start. That's required. Uh But like, you're not, you haven't really been tested yet. Has anything hard happened that has come up in your life? And consistency, it requires a ton of maturity, like you said, and intelligence. Yeah. So like making sure that when you can't run, you're doing something else that's going to help you get back to running faster, get back to the gym. You're focusing on your nutrition. You're doing, you're biking. Like there were times where I was trying to lower my running volume to help with something, an injury, and I would do a 5K run and then I would bike for five kilometers or 10K. Yeah. I would bike for the remaining 20 minutes to keep my heart rate up, to get that like aerobic activity. Even if I'm not necessarily running, you can do other things. Yeah. Or like you said, go to physio, like stay on top of injuries, do mobility. And then when you get back to it, don't just jump back into your program. Yeah. Like there were, I think two or three times I had to come back with walk runs. Yeah. And I'm like, what? 
Yeah. I have a marathon in eight weeks. Why am I walk running for like 50 minutes? This is stupid. Can yeah. I just run? No, because you have to be smart. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to, guess what? You're going to delay the recovery or you're just going to get injured again. Yeah. It's really tempting to think that, oh, the answer is I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to do more. That's the only way to get better. No, the way that you get better is by doing the smart thing, by yeah. being intelligent. And maybe the, the race in eight weeks isn't going to be the one that you PR. Yeah. I had a, a guy I, I've been with, I mean, I've been coaching him for, I think, three or four years now. And he picked up running and he's getting better and better each time. He had a foot injury and his thing was like, what can I be doing? I have Chicago coming up in 12 weeks, three months. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. But he said, I'm going to do everything I can. And if I can race, I'll race. And if I have to just run it, I'll run it. And then I'll look ahead to my race in January. He just did the dopey challenge again. Mm -hmm. It's the long game. It's like, okay, Chicago's not on. And then what's the next one? Yeah. I'll train for that. And that requires me doing what I can do right now to get back so that even if I'm not running Chicago, mm -hmm. I can start running as soon as possible. Yeah. So it, it, that long game is so important. Like there's no consistency without it. I mean, inherent in the definition of consistency in my mind is long-term sustainability, like mm -hmm. multiple days, a thousand days or more. A lot of people might find themselves in that situation and just throw in the towel. Like if you miss a week of running and you've only, you're only running for eight weeks, yeah, that's, you know, 10%, 12%. If you run for 50, a year, 52 weeks, mm -hmm. and you miss a week, that is 2%, that's if my great. math is correct. It's pretty close, I think. Yeah, and like that blip, that week, not going to matter. Yeah. So I went to Africa for two weeks. I missed two weeks of running. We went to Tanzania. You have to it's, use the country. It's a blip. It's a blip. Yeah, like two weeks of, like legit couldn't run, not allowed to, cannot run. I didn't even walk. I was barely standing. God. That was and you know what? It didn't matter. And when I got back, yeah. guess what? I was doing 5Ks, yeah, 10Ks, not 20. No. My volume, it slowly ramped back up again. Which again, smart thing to do. And I think a lot of people left to their own devices would look at the volume that they were running before a trip like that. They would You get off the plane, you'd run 30K. <laughs> and then you would hurt your hip flexor. Yeah. And you'd be, you'd be sidelined for three, four, five weeks while that healed up. Or yeah. Then you'd be running 5Ks, maybe. So again, it's, it's just being intelligent. And sometimes that means paying, paying someone money to make you do less than you want to do. Yeah. And that's, like, that's the value in having a, a coach in your corner, I think. Because not everyone can make that decision. You sure wouldn't. Yeah. No offense. No, I wouldn't. So after Chicago, the next race was Boston, which was in the springtime. So that was October 2021. Boston was April 2022, which sounds like a long period of time, but actually kind of a fast turnaround on that one because really you weren't back into marathon prep kind of running volume until around the new year. Yeah. So that's January, like probably January 1st-ish. That's when you start back up, which really is only three months of prep before you're starting to get into reduced volume for your taper. So three months is not a long time. How did your volume change leading into Boston compared to Chicago with running days per week, um, running, and then also how you handled that physically compared to the Chicago lead up? So I was running four days a week. We bumped it up to four days at that point. And I was running between 50 and 60. Okay. So about 20 kilometers more per week, one extra day. Yeah. Okay. 
and still doing gym workouts, still doing gym workouts, like five days or five sessions a week, five or six. I'm always doing about 10 sessions a week. Yes. Nine to 10. So whatever I'm running four days and I'm doing six gym sessions. And my coach had, again, he had scheduled that fourth day intelligently. I think I did back to back on like Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then I had a, a, a rest day on Monday and then Friday was an off day as well. So the, it was kind of like, it was smart. It was like rest day before two runs. Sunday was shorter. And then I would rest on Monday. Yeah. And I stayed relatively uninjured. I had to get like some toe spacers. I was doing a little bit more like mobility, still seeing physio quite like quite a bit. Yeah. Not quite as much as before Chicago um, yeah. to, to work some things out. But, and then I think too, with my coach, like he had never really trained anyone who was trying to maintain strength and performance in CrossFit. Not that I was competing and also building up in volume I think he, he was also learning quite a bit yeah. in how to, you know, I would run 28K and then I would do a workout. So what that workout in the afternoon, what it was like mattered. Yeah. So kind of understanding your kind of a novel situation as far as an athlete goes. And like there's, there's plenty of quote unquote hybrid athletes out there. But I wouldn't say there's too many people who are doing what you're doing as far as the speed at which you're running and then the output that you're maintaining in the gym from a strength numbers perspective and like intensity in, in CrossFit style workouts was still quite high. So I think there was specific movements are modified big time in your training to prevent or mitigate the risk of injury. Yeah. Like, and that, that again, like here's the value of having someone doing that programming versus just putting a running program. Like what happens if your CrossFit affiliate programs that open workout from 2020 with like 600 double unders in it? And because they don't know that you're running and you don't know any better, you do that workout. And then the next day you go out and run a 14K and you strain your calves and mess your feet up. Totally preventable situation if someone who knows what they're doing is writing programming. And it's frustrating when people end up in those situations and it's like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't know or I did this. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sore. I didn't think anything of it. And it's like, just think of those repetitions. Like yeah. that's, and you have to be the like thinking this way. But I think that the beauty in, in having someone like Mike do the programming, he's a runner himself. So he understands the volume and the impact that it has. He's also really smart and he's constantly adapting and learning and he's looking at your results and he's saying, okay, this, this makes sense or that didn't make sense. That may mean that, you know, the run had a bigger impact on, this and you're also providing feedback, which is mm -hmm. super important. So it's just kind of can be modified along the way, which is a really important part of, I think, a, a true hybrid, high performing hybrid athlete approach. Yeah. Yeah. So Boston, you ran in a 308. Yeah. Really challenging course. <laughs> Lots of. It was like two days before I looked at the course elevation map and was like, uh oh. Yeah. I did not train enough hills. I think you hear about Boston and you hear like, oh, it's a net downhill. And then like in your brain, even though you know better, you hear net downhill and you're like, oh, that's going to be not so bad. It's downhill. But yeah, net, net, the net elevation is a negative number. But that does not mean you are not running a lot of yeah. up and down hills. I don't think there was one flat section except for the last like 400 meters to the finish. Yeah. It's not like Big Sur, net negative and like just gradual yeah. down. It's hilly. Started out with a major downhill. Yeah. And like halfway through my legs were, my quads were I had never felt my legs like that except for at the end of Chicago. Yeah. At the end of Chicago. And I'm like, oh no, I'm feeling this halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen, like, I mean, I was at Chicago. It's not like I've watched a ton of marathons. So many people at the like the 25 mile mark, which is where we were situated, 
we're cramping. We're walking with like quad and hamstring cramps. And I just think that the downhill and the hilly course like that just really takes a toll. But 308 is really fast on that one. So about a 12-minute improvement from Chicago in really in three months of training. That's quite significant. And then after Boston, you didn't really put anything on your calendar from a race standpoint. You signed up, kind of committed to doing LA, which is almost a year. So that'll be March. That's the one that's coming up. That's almost a year in between marathons. Let's talk through what happened after Boston. Did you stop running? I was kind of messed up after Boston. Mm-hmm. Like it was a really, I, I was sick a few, day, a few weeks before and I'm not going to, I'm not saying that that impacted my results, but it definitely, I think kind of had an impact on my ability to recover. Like I was in good shape for Boston, but I was pretty messed up after. Yeah. Like I remember my legs were so bad that even like a week later, I ran 5K or 10K or something. I just, my legs, they didn't feel right. Like I thought I might have like some mild rhabdo. Yeah. Like they were not bouncing back. Like every run, it just felt there was so much blood. My legs felt like twice the size. Did And when you say sick, do you mean like Smovid sick? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think I got COVID, but I didn't test positive for it. But I had like all the symptoms. Yeah. Didn't stop running. I just had to rebuild up my volume. Mm-hmm. I'm just not that person who's going to take a week off. Like I still get programming, but it was like very like low intensity my nervous system, I could tell, like I would do 10 pull-ups and like get kind of shaky. Yeah. So it was just like, it was very low intensity, low volume, just kind of trying to bounce back. And that was probably two weeks and then started building back up again. Was there a period of time over the summer? So let's talk May through July where you felt like, I wish I didn't have to go running or I would like to take a a break from running. No. Hmm. In fact, I was like, I need to be running more so I can get faster I'm going to hire a running coach. Mm-hmm. And then I actually like was talking to running coaches because I was like, okay, I'm going to get somebody to program my runs who's like really knows running and maybe join a run club and then just have CrossFit kind of like supplementary. Yeah. So not have the same coach do both. Like have a more like knowledgeable, experienced, specific running coach and try to build up volume. Because at that point I was like, I don't think my volume's high enough. Then I kind of abandoned that idea after just talking to my coach and just being like, you know what? I think that would cause too much anxiety on my part, trying to fit two pieces together. Mm-hmm. As much as I want to get faster at running, like I'm so I'm busy and I'm, I'm tapped out in other areas of my life that putting effort into my own programming and not trusting it and worrying about the way the pieces um, coexist. I just didn't have that bandwidth. I know you like that word. I hate that word. Because I didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So I was just, you know what? I'm going to stick with the coach that I have that's got me here in this. And I'm at that point was feeling way more resilient, like wasn't getting niggly injuries with running. Yeah. Was able to do more lower body stuff in the gym. Like, yeah, squatting more, was able to do higher intensity, bouncing back from long runs faster. Mm-hmm. I had my nutrition more dialed in. I had tested a few different things before long runs all that stuff. I just felt like I was in a better place. I was like, let's put the hammer down. Yeah. But then I tried to sign up for, I was thinking I'll do New York in November, but it was kind of past the deadline. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to do through charity. And, and then with all the other stuff with, we had our trip coming up, our wedding, we're moving into Fernie. I was like, I'm just going to put the marathon on the back burner and do a, a faster half. Yeah. Which really is a benchmark to getting a sub three marathon. Yep. You have to be able to do a half. In under in under three to get a feel and no half you can and do under it. ninety. Sorry, yeah, and under ninety. Ninety minutes. So I did that, even though I didn't want to. My coach was like, "I think this is a good goal." Yeah. Um, I don't like the half marathon distance, but <laughs> it was a it was a really good confidence booster. 
I did that right at the end of September. So it sounds like you just really like running. Like it's I love something it. that you you do because you enjoy a lot. Mm-hmm. So you re, you added another running day though. Yeah. When did you do that? In October, when I got back from Africa, I said to my coach, "I want to to try building up to over seventy kilometers by the end of November." Yep. And like so, he he did it. And he said, I think it would be smart to add another running day. So I added a Friday running day. So now I was running Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday was just like a 10K. I do it early before work usually just to add some volume. And then was building, I was basically up to over 75 kilometers by the end of November, I think. Yep. And then, yeah, he kind of drops it back a bit, builds it back up, adds different speed work and that sort of thing. So I hover around, oh, 60 to 70 and then now that I'm climbing back up I'll probably end over 70 most weeks leading up to LA yeah so again it's still a lot lower than a lot of marathoners out there but incredible that it's it's more than double your mileage leading into Chicago Mm -hmm. you seem to be withstanding it just fine no injuries knock on wood your output in the gym is still pretty good so that's let's kind of like tie it all together so we're I think a safe assumption that you're you're gonna probably PR and LA. Hope so. Most likely. As long as everything continues to go well and you remain injury free. But training is is good. Volume's up. Speed is up. RPE and hard runs is down. So it looks like a PR is coming. Presumably you're gonna you're probably not gonna PR by more than ten minutes. If I get under three, <laughs> I will be that will be amazing to That's me. a so let's let's just unpack that though. You had a twelve minute PR in three months, essentially. And now you're looking at a, a less, like 10 minutes, most likely, or less PR in almost a year. Mm-hmm. Does that give you any kind of like, we're asymptotically approaching yeah, exactly. <laughs> the like, limit? You're not going to get, every year, you don't get 10 minutes faster. No. And, you know, there are so many factors. Like, even training through the winter is tough. Like, the training conditions haven't been super great. You know, there was a week... And this is part of the consistency thing. Like there was a weekend I was in Fernie and the snow, there was snow and ice and it was, I couldn't run outside. Like it was so icy that I was on a treadmill and I was kind of a little bit worn down because we were skiing a lot. Mm -hmm. And instead of just pushing through or not running at all, I basically just backed off. I still ran on the same days, but I was on a treadmill. I didn't go for distance. I went for time and RPE and I did, I, I was running only 50 kilometers for that week. Yeah. So it was like when things get hard, make it easier so that you can just keep it, keep at it, keep hmm. that habit, keep that consistency. A it, lot of people, we use that and make it easy when a lot of newer athletes or people are trying to build new habits. But I like that you just said that because it also applies to people who have been doing this stuff for a really long time. Yeah, for sure. And it's we say this all the time with like tracking your nutrition, like, okay, you're going to be on vacation. You're not going to be able to control everything. It's going to be really hard to hit your macros, even though you're normally very consistent with macros. How about we just shoot for calories or focus on portion control or something like that? Make it easier, but there's still intention yeah. and awareness and focus on it so that you can come back and be like, okay, I didn't let that habit completely fall to the side. Yeah. I just get back on the horse. I dial it in a little bit more again. Yeah. So um, maintaining that consistency. And again, this goes back, you have to be adaptable mm-hmm. in your approach, even though your commitment is rigid. I will say it was not easy. No. In my mind, I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, geez. This is like a bad week. I'm losing, you know, I'm not progressing 
this is maintenance. I'm, I'm going back in volume. I should be running more. In the back of your head, you're thinking all these things. Yeah. But logically, you're like, I'm, I couldn't be doing what I want to be doing anyway. So why not just take the anxiety out of it, trust somebody else to help you adapt and, and just do it and then get back to it next week. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like I said, a week is a blip. Yeah. It's a blip. You're, you don't make that much progress in a week. You no. make progress over months, over years. So it's just like, you know, even for somebody like me, I know this, I can say it, but it takes constant reminders because we do want instant gratification. We do think, you know, one, one action is going to have a huge impact. It never does. No. It never does. So I think this has been a really cool talk about your personal experience with consistency, kind of in the medium term. Like what's crazy is you're going on two years, essentially with like a commitment to running and you're very close to breaking three hours, which is, and I, I don't mean to offend you when I say this, not even close <laughs> to an elite time. I know. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's amazing. I think a lot of people fall into that trap of being like, well, why should, why should I put so much effort and energy into this? Like I'm so far away from being elite. Uh, it takes so much. And I think that is a good reason to pause and assess if you're doing things for the right reason or you're actually doing something that you enjoy. You know, but look at it a different way. You are going to be, you basically have taken 30 minutes off of your marathon time in two years, which is significant. It's a significant reduction. So I guess if you were to leave listeners with like a takeaway from this episode or how to apply consistency like you have into their lives and what they have going on, whatever those things are, what would you want to leave people with? I think the main takeaway the highlight of kind of all the things that I said is it's playing the long game and it's committing to it long-term. And I think the crux of that is making sure whatever you're committing to is something that you thoroughly enjoy doing. You know, there's not, there's a lot of days, like even this morning, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to go out and run. It was kind of cold. I was kind of tired, but like I did it and I'm glad I did it. I felt amazing when I was done. I felt amazing during first kilometer sucked. I think a lot of people think, oh, she runs so much or she's so good at running or she must really love it. She never has an issue getting out the door. Like 50% of the time, maybe even more, it is an effort to get out the door. Early in the morning when it's dark or at the end of the day after work, but you're committed to it. It's like, I can't break that promise to myself that I'm going to run on Wednesday morning. I'm going to complete the workout my coach gave me. It's just like, I was thinking about that on the way home. Like, why don't I let myself off the hook? And it's like, because it's that commitment. The motivation or the desire that you have on a specific day doesn't waver that commitment. The commitment always trumps. So find something that you love, find something you can fall in love with the process, even when it gets hard because it's going to, and stick with it. Like if you have a, 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 a bad week, a bad month, it's just a blip. When you look back and you're like, I've been running for 20 years, you're not even going to remember this week. Mm, that's a really good point. So find something that you love, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's running, whether it's F45. Those aren't really measurable, but still committing to something over time, you get fitter, you get better, you get, it gets easier. It can be pickleball. Yeah. Yeah. It can be something not even physical work, but make it a priority. I mean, I think I consider my runs just as important as my work. Like it's just part of my daily task. It's like I email people, I have to check in with people, but also running is there. Running just has to be more flexible because work is work. Amazing. Alex, 
Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure every single time. (laughs) Every single time. I'll have you back on again real soon. Okay, great. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, share. Send us a running man emoji if you made it to this point. And we will talk to you again soon.